Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? Uh, thank you to all those Texans. And hello, I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas. This is the first of our summer podcasts on politics and government in Texas. I'm joined this week by my colleague, Dr. Joshua Blank, manager of polling and research at the Texas Politics Project. Thanks for coming, Josh. Thanks for having me. Well, if you're watching Texas politics this week, you're focused on the conclusion of the Texas legislature, which just wrapped up its biennial session. Uh, Josh and I spend a lot of time watching this doing polling for the Texas Politics Project, the UT Texas Tribune poll, and generally just because we're geeks about it. Um, and I, and so everybody, now that the, the legislature has wrapped up its business for now, there's talk of a special session coming, which we can touch on as we go through this. Um, we're all thinking about what happened and where we arrived based on, you know, looking and based on where we started. If you go back to the beginning of the legislature, we're all talking about a handful of things that did, in fact, come up by and large. We were talking about the budget because we went into the session with less money than we had had for the last couple of sessions due to the drop in in tax revenue in the state. Uh, We were talking about the crisis at Child Protective Services and in foster care. The headlines in the fall um, were dominated in the state periodically by this crisis in the child welfare system uh, and the failure really of foster care and child protective services to adequately, adequately take care of kids that were in their custody. We were talking about sanctuary cities, uh, the practice of cities declining or, or declining to enforce federal immigration law or doing so on a limited basis. A lot of fights going on in the fall, and that came up in the national political climate. We were talking about bathrooms, oddly enough, more specifically uh, the policies that cities were choosing uh, to implement protecting transgender kids from uh, discrimination, various kinds of attempts, and also in public facilities. And we were talking about property taxes, um, probably not something that touches directly a lot of people that are going to listen to this, but a big issue in the Republican Party. Um, that was all on the agenda going in. And it did seem, Josh, like we got, for the most part, what we expected, at least in what was on the agenda. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you know, it's not like 100 percent of the agenda is ever going to get covered. Right. And so the issue is ends up being at the end. Well, what what actually did get covered? What didn't? And then if it didn't actually get addressed, sort of the question becomes, why is this something? That, and, you know, most of the time the answer is, well, it's going to take multiple sessions is, one, you know, one obvious answer. And the other then the other why is usually some sort of mixture of politics. And, and that's where a lot of people end up focusing on what didn't happen that people expected to have happen. But it seems like, you know, if you look at the list of what we got coming out, right, the things that were really high profile, because obviously there's a million things that happened that, you know, only matter to very small, you know, industries or players within industries and, you know, small groups. But if you think about the things that get written about in the newspaper, you think about, you know, SB4, which was the Sanctuary Cities legislation, which basically requires local police departments and uh, to cooperate with immigration enforcement officials and also prohibits them from uh, basically 
making rules that keep their officers from asking the immigration status of people that they detain, you know, basically up to, you know, a routine traffic stop. There were further abortion restrictions, which included uh, requiring the burial of fetal remains from an abortion, a stillbirth, basically at any, you know, sort of medical medical establishment, not at home, but anywhere else. And that was not something that we heard. At, I mean, abortion is always kind of bubbling yeah. under as an issue because it's so intensely important to un- right. to a sector or a, a section of the population. We didn't hear a ton about that. going. No, on. it wasn't like we normally in previous sessions. We knew going in, there's like these three or four things they were going to try to do. And it didn't really feel that way this session. If anything, the sort of early talk was pretty quiet. A lot of the, the early bills filed you know, around abortion were sort of so beyond the pale of possible that you just sort of thought, okay, well, nothing's going to happen. But then they passed the sort of fetal remains bill. They also passed a bill that uh, outlaws, you know, so-called dismemberment abortions, which is, you know, sounds pretty awful, but is basically the most common uh, practice of second trimester abortions. So they outlawed a, a, a method of abortion, which is sort of a big deal. I mean, it's definitely a big deal to some people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, actually, it's a big deal to a lot of people. It's a big deal in part because it's it's almost certainly going to be challenged in the oh. courts and and, and is as pushing is the, the boundaries of what's allowable. As is the fetal remains bill. Yeah. So there was a voter ID bill because Texas's voter ID law was struck down. And then the laws that were put in place for the 2016 election were basically extended. But then on the sort of, you know, what was added to it was a, was a criminal penalty for basically people who said that they couldn't uh, reasonably obtain an ID to vote and then presented an alternative form like a bank check, a bank statement or a paycheck or a utility bill. If you're a registered voter and you said that you didn't have an ID and you use one of these alternative forms, but you actually have an ID, you can be sentenced up to two years in prison. So that was sort of, that was added to sort of what some would say was be to disincentivize people from using this route and basically keep the voter ID, uh, the, the thrust and idea of the voter ID bill in place. You know, there were other sort of things that were also, I mean, you know, in addition to all these sort of high profile things, there's also the budget, which is the most high profile, the only, you know, piece of legislation, the only thing they're required to pass. And given what you were saying at the beginning about the the fiscal environment, you know, it was a, it was a very conservative budget in some reason, in some respects, because it, it had to be given that there right. was no opportunity or no likelihood of any new sources of revenue. But also, I mean, just in the particulars of the choices, you know, sort of cuts to higher education, um, you know, basically no uh, increased spending on Medicaid due to, you know, you know, inflation, pretty conservative estimates about enrollment growth in public education, all things that everyone basically accepts means that when they come back in, you know, 2019 for the next session, the first thing they probably that they're going to have to do is basically come up with the money they're not putting into the budget this time. Right. right. And that and that's typical. There's always right. kind of a hangover. Right. And I was talking to a former appropriations chair in the final days of the session who was really kind of raising his eyebrows on one hand saying, sure, this always happens. You know, there's always a billion or so that's there, you know, that you have to cover when you come back. But this time it's guaranteed to be guaranteed to be a lot more of that because of the way that they, you know, kept the budget. Mm-hmm. You know where where they wanted it to be without going into like the the states kind of ra- the rainy day fund as right. they call it without getting into it, which is sort of the state's emergency savings account. Right, and then one of the other big issues that came out was a sort of the fixed to child protective services or CPS, which was a big issue going into the session. 
you know, a lot of problems with CPS, you know, children sleeping in offices, children, you know, who were, you know, were being reported as being in danger, not being seen within 24, 48, sometimes, you know, hours, sometimes longer. And the fix was sort of an interesting one because it was sort of a mixture of, well, we're going to put more money in to, you know, sort of, let's say, increase the pay of these people who have this kind of terrible job, try to hire new people. But what we're also going to do is we're going to bring in a bunch of outside groups. And not only are we going to bring in a bunch of outside groups to sort of help us implement this, we're also going to try to make it easier for religious organization, organizations to uh, engage in this process and basically give them an exemptions to sort of fulfill their religious beliefs in helping this mission of CPS. Right. And that was also sort of an underlying theme of the session in terms of finding little places wherever possible to create protections for basically, you know, basically religious views, whether it be, you know, lawyers taking on clients or, you know, basically organizations helping children. They were looking for different places where, you know, they could create sort of an exemption for religion. So the question, and this is sort of, these are the highest profile piece, like bills that were passed. These are the things that people were talking about you know, very openly that were sort of interesting to the public. And so the question that's now bubbling around when you sort of look at that long list is, you know, how conservative was this session? You know, was this session significantly more conservative than previous sessions? Was it less conservative? Or was it just actually, you know, the optics of it in the sense that, you know, the the Senate under Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was so, you know, both, you know, more conservative than it has been historically, but also ruled much more, we'll say, efficiently. That's a nice word. Yeah, I'll say efficiently. That the session started and they were just passing conservative legislation, you know, very easily right at the outset. The House takes a slower pace. They always do, right? And it's sort of the question became, you know, is the House actually bottling these things up? Are they sort of being strategic about it and that, you know... They don't want to bring up some really fractious issues early on in the session that's going to break up, you know, consensus on other issues. But then at the end of the session came, it almost seemed like all these things just started rolling out and getting passed. And so the question becomes, you know, again, was it that the session was just a conservative session? Was it the optics of it? Was it both? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the answer is, is probably both. I mean, I think I would frame it, you know, it was a conservative session. There was... Almost a kind of what you might call a you know a pent up supply of conservatism out there, and that's kind of standard for Texas and standard for these legislative sessions, at least in the recent decades. There's always you know a bunch of stuff that's there. There's always advocates for it, and then there's and I think what's different right now, or what we're seeing mature now, is that there is an electoral environment out there in which you've got a bunch of you know legislators in the majority that are running. Primary, you know, for first and foremost in Republican primaries because the Democrats are not competitive in most of these districts. And so what you get is that in this particular circumstance, you know, start with the fiscal with the fiscal situation and the budget, because there's not, you know, quote unquote extra money, because the budget was tight and they went in knowing that there was going to have to be some cutting if they weren't going to increase spending. And when you say if I, or increase revenue, and when I say the if you know, that if tells you a lot because they weren't going to do that. We know that right now the conservative baseline and the, and the orientation in the state, which is time honored and part of Texas history, is that there's reluctance to either raise taxes or find any other way of increasing revenue. And if you're not going to do that and revenue is down, 
there are going to be cuts and it's going to be a tight well, year. And to flesh that a little bit more, I mean, there's two things about that. One, it's not as though Democrats in Texas are, are running around saying, raise my taxes. You know, right. I always you know, like to say one of the one of the things about being a liberal in Texas is you get to hold all the liberal positions and you don't pay taxes for them. Right. They're free. And that th I think that's something that Texans actually in a lot of, yeah. you know, on average kind of appreciate. But the, just to flesh out your point, I mean, that is sort of a key thing here is that even conservatives want shiny things for their districts. Right. And when you don't have money and you can't deliver those shiny things, you have to deliver something else. Right. right? And, and the something else is a bunch of these other things that we talked about. You know, and, and, and I think you raise a good point. I mean, you can go through that list. And you did a good job of laying out no matter what they did. Certainly some of these provisions like the restrictions on abortion, those are straightforward conservative items aimed at a conservative audience. When you're increasing restrictions on abortion and seeking to make it, you know, harder to obtain an abortion, making abortion more rare by restricting access, that's a conservative I that's a conservative agenda item and it's pretty unambiguous. But if you look at, you know, other things like, you know, the CPS example is a really good one. You take an item where there was really, I mean, you and I talked about this going into the session. It was one of the few areas where there was pretty much total consensus. And our friend, the the writer Ross Ramsey at Texas Tribune, kind of put it early on. He's like, you know, for God's sake, kids are dying. Right. I mean, uh, and, which yeah. was literally true. And so you're not going to get a, it's kind of hard to argue, well, we need to spend a little less money, you know. Right. And even from our, the, and our pointy headed sciencey perspective, we're like, yeah, there's no point in asking about this because everybody is against right. kids dying. And we did anyway. And everybody, you know, was for reforming CPS. To the extent right. that people had heard about it, they were overwhelmingly thought something needed to be done. But they found a way to make that consensus bill a vehicle for a more, for an item that is really on the conservative agenda in terms of putting religious organizations front and center in this or trying to, and providing these additional protections that really plug into what cultural conservatives want. And, and just to flesh that out, you kind of laid it out, but what it means in practice, certainly the critics see it this way, and I think that even the defenders of it would say this, that you can't sort of keep religious organizations out of providing services, even if they are you know likely to uh, kind of incorporate kids into their religion, into their religious beliefs, or reject some kids, or change their behavior based on their religious beliefs, and that's, you know, that's something that is has been in the conservative ether for a while. So, I mean, what we're thinking. So, I mean, as we kind of work through this question, was it more conservative? Or not? It sounds like the answer is yes, and part of it is there's sort of th at least three things going on here. One, it's sort of the natural pressures of the Republican primary electorate in a conservative state. Probably the budgetary pressures and the inability to sort of satisfy, you know, constituent demands through spending, you know, even for conservatives. Right. And probably three, you know, the thing that we're probably giving a little bit short shrift to in some ways is, you know, the lieutenant governor's sort of largely successful attempt to take the agenda sort of by the horns and, and sort of and use his power in the le in, let's say in the Senate and in a more conservative Senate to really drive a lot of this stuff. But then he but here's another thing. Do you think the national environment also played a role in this? Is well, I think it did in critical areas. And one of the things we haven't talked about that much this way is, is the sanctuary city issue mm -hmm. in which, you know, I think the Trump, you know, the Trump administration moved pretty early on to respond to, you know, its voter base in the same way that the Republican leadership in the state is responding to right. their voter base. 
by engaging in a high visibility campaign against local officials who were not cooperating yeah. with federal immigration law by threatening, and whether he can actually do this or not will be another issue, but by threatening to withhold federal funds to cities that don't fully cooperate with federal immigration efforts. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And it's something that I guess I haven't even thought about until now. I mean, for most of my life, I always find that it's really difficult to either follow, to follow both national politics and state politics closely at the same time. Right. Usually you can do one or the other really well, unless you just basically and devote your whole day to it. You can follow, you can follow both. But I mean, when you think about it, you know, the Texas legislature comes after an election, Every year, right? So if you think about the legislature coming in in 2017 is almost surely reacting to the environment of the 2016 presidential election in a way that touches people a lot more than any, you know, house race, like state house race is going to touch your average voter. And if that's the issue in, you know, in a Republican state that really, you know, the Donald Trump really honed in on early immigration writ large and then, you know, later sanctuary cities, uh, you know. The crimin, the, you know, the criminality of people who are not in the country legally, right? right? And this is something that the legislature has sort of, you know, scratched at for a while. It almost, I mean, we kind of what it said at some point. It's clear that they're going to pass something, and right. it's not surprising that it was this. So then, well, I, you know, I, I think you have to look at that immigration. I mean, I, I think stepping back, it's easy, you know, having gone through and parsed yeah. out all of these things that happen, it's easy to forget that just how important immigration and border security are to the Republican electorate, both nationally, but particularly in the state of Texas. And in a lot of ways, Texas was ahead of the curve on this mm-hmm. um, in turn. You know, so in that sense, I've had a lot, I've had some reporters ask, well, so did Trump kind of cause this? And it's kind of, in a lot of ways, it gets it backwards. Right. In that Trump tapped into something that Texas politicians, particularly Texas Republican politicians, have been tapping into for a while. And so I think when we look forward to what I expect to see in the 2018 primary elections in which Republican legislators go back to their districts and want to take credit for the things that they've done, they're going to take credit for immigration, for the anti-sanctuary cities law that, you, that we discussed, and for holding the line on the border security on the border security budget, right? In which you know there were some talk about reducing spending, and in the end they didn't reduce it. They there was a big increase to some more than eight hundred billion dollars for the biennium in twenty fifteen. There was some talk about saying, okay, we put a bunch of you know we bought cars and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, they have really cool maybe Humvees and stuff. Yeah, maybe we don't need to spend as much this time. But they ultimately didn't do that, and everybody signed off. And that's an interesting moment. The argument for reducing it was to go back to the national political situation to expect that a Republican-led Congress and Donald Trump, who campaigned on building a wall, would basically respond finally to all the criticism out of Texas for the last decade that the federal government was failing on the border. They obviously are following that agenda, but they they don't trust enough well, right. yet to cut the well, spending. Well, but the other side of that is it's not even it's not even just trust. It's sort of I mean the other the other angle of that is to say, you know, regardless of whether or not you know let's say the federal government was going to move to increase border security funding in a way that could alleviate Texas's responsibility, were legislators really going to take a vote? reducing to reduce border security funding in this environment and the answer is almost certainly no and the question is almost will they ever so here's one more one more thing about this session then you know if we sort of look at this sort of long list of conservative legislation we say this was a pretty you know certainly a lot of conservative legislation came out of this legislature and yet what we're almost consistently talking about are the two things that weren't passed that didn't happen right that didn't happen right one is you know um 
basically legislating, regulating which bathrooms transgender Texans must use. Let's just argue. Let's just acknowledge how hard it is to describe that. It's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard to describe and very hard to pull that. And the other one was basically some semblance of what we call property tax reform, not to be confused with property tax reduction, because the right. legislature does not control your property taxes. So there's sort of all these, you know, various, you know, Rube Goldberg kind of contrap legislative contraptions to try to claim some sort of effect on your property taxes. And neither of these two things passed. In a lot of ways, as we sit here in between, you know, the end of the legislative session and what we're waiting for, you know, almost surely an announcement of when a special session is going to come from the governor. The question is, are both of these items going to be on? Is one of these items going to be on it? Are none of these items going to be on it? It's possible that neither of them will be on it. They have to, to, to backfill on this a little bit, they're almost certainly going to have to call a special session to go back and do some tech, pass a bill that technically is necessary for several state agencies to continue as part of the sunset process. Um, given that, given that we know he's the governor is almost certainly going to have to call a special session for that, right. we then wonder what else the governor can put on the session. And despite what you may have heard from some other leaders in the state, the governor is the only person who can technically call a special, a special session. Uh, if you read the newspapers on this and if you start following the news because you're, uh, you're in the class, what you'll wind up finding out is that there's a lot of pressure on the governor by the lieutenant governor to call a session. And the governor's been pretty quick to reassert his authority and remind the lieutenant governor and everyone else that he's the only one that has the constitutional power to call the special session. So I'm sure we'll get a lot. We'll have a lot of time to talk about this issue again in the coming weeks. But is this focus on you know, bath, given this long list of, of accomplishments that cons, conservative legislators can take back uh, for their Republican primary, you know, audience uh, in the 2018 elections, is this list of these sort of these these two other items, is this really, you know, about the fact that the legislature, you know, didn't fulfill its conservative obligation or is this more about internal politics? Yeah, it feels more about internal politics. Between... Between the between you know different factions of the Republican Party, in particular between the leadership, between the governor, the lieutenant governor, to a lesser extent, frankly, the Speaker of the House. But I think we have to put an asterisk on that, and we you know we'll have a poll in the field very soon, and we'll find out whether some of the attitudes that we found early in the session that suggested to us that in fact regulating bathroom access was not particularly important even to a big chunk of Republicans. It was important to a narrow band, particularly evangelicals. Uh, but for the most part, people weren't hankering for it. I think we, we think people are still kind of making up their mind what they think about the issue overall. Property taxes were more important to them. At the same time, it's, there's some risk for the Republican Party on this because if property taxes are the focus of a special session, but you're not actually lowering property taxes... It's, it's tricky. So these are issues that we'll definitely be hearing more about in the coming weeks. Uh, we'll be back sometimes with Josh, sometimes with others to talk about these and other things going on in Texas politics. So for now, Jim and Josh signing off, and we'll talk to you again soon. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project and the Project 2021 Development Studio at the University of Texas at Austin. 